So, listeners, we are starting the spoiler section of our podcast. We've never done this before. What this means is we're going to be covering nitty-gritty detail about the Pathfinder role-playing game Strange Aeon's Adventure Path. They are currently on book five, but we're going to be talking about everything they've done so far, so it'll be up to book five. We'll have a lot of information shared. So, if you don't want that spoiled for you, stop listening now. If you're like us and you don't care... (laughs) feel free to listen or if you're getting ready to run it if you already played it check it out we're going to be talking about a lot of cool stuff so that's just so you know it's the strange aeons adventure path pathfinder role-playing game all right guys so you are on part five of the strange aeons experiment is what you're calling it what grows within so for people who don't know what is strange aeons this is adam here uh strange aeons is the Pathfinder adventure path that deals with Lovecraft and the, the elder mythos and the Lovecraftian uh, themed you know, adventures that Paizo has put together uh, that have a lot of people sort of, um, I guess, brought in or, or joined through Call of Cthulhu and, and the other games that have um, dealt with the elder mythos. And uh, it's sort of um, almost tribute, I guess I want to say. Uh, it doesn't so predictable as it might seem right away like oh it's just going to be this lovecraftian path paizo always puts their own spin on things and so uh it's definitely a tribute to lovecraft and his work along with presenting a lot of new material that paizo has also inserted so this makes me really want to play this then because i actually have not played uh the strange aeon adventure path any of the books and we're gonna spoil it completely for you right now michael well, you know how I am, so I am willing to do this. <laughs> You're not going to even remember if you ever have a chance to play it, so it'll be fine. Honestly, yeah, by the time I get to any kind of strange aeons, I'm going to be like, I think we talked about this once. Oh, this is Eric speaking. Um, have any of you guys ever played Call of Cthulhu? Not me. I, I haven't played it, no. I've done the. Uh, I've read some of the books from Lovecraft himself. Mm. Yeah, see, um, one, one of the reasons why this is called The Experiments is because none of us have any experience, books or games or otherwise, with it. And that's how we selected the players for this. So we are completely ignorant to anything Lovecraft. That's why we're doing this. So that's actually, that was my next question, was why is it The Experiment? Some quick details on The Experiment, because I've read your PDF, but I'm going to ask you why you went with these specific things. Um, you're using 15 point by iconic characters. You are allowing archetypes. So it's basically, it's you're playing the iconic character, but you can build it any way you want. Why did you go with the iconics? Uh, this is Sterling speaking. Um, this is actually an, an idea that Adam came up with a couple of years ago when we first started playing, when we moved from 3.5 over to Pathfinder. I think that the reasons for doing it have evolved up to you know where we're at now, but there's a whole lot of advantages to it. I think one of the coolest things as a player is that if, in particular, if you pick to play the four iconics that are uh, associated with the adventure path, because Paizo associates four iconics with each adventure path to represent the four main PCs, is that uh, you get to see your character in professionally created art over and over and over again as you go through each book. So we have a 70-inch screen in the play area, and you know, getting to see those pieces of art with your character uh, going up against some of these really epic foes is, is pretty awesome, and it really helps, again, with that immersion um, side of it. And I think Eric can kind of speak to on like the advantages of being able to embed and things like that. Well, yeah, we um, we definitely use the player's guides that come out with um, each adventure path. And uh, if you're not familiar with that is every time an adventure path comes out, they release this guide saying that um, this is a broad view that the players can read. that's non-spoiler that you, know, you hear, here's some guidelines to create your character. Here's the regions you are in or will be going to. Here's some archetypes and, you know, feats and suggestions and stuff. And we do adhere to that. So like you said, um, we do pick archetypes, but we can't do exactly whatever we want. I mean, we, that's not that's not the point of doing it. The point of it is to embed these characters in this specific genre or specific campaign. And that's what we aim to do. We, we stick as, as close to the iconics as possible, like similarly to how we stick to the, to, to the module and the author's intent. You know, we use like all the background information on the blog posts. Um, we, we purchase all the equipment that, that's visible on the, on, the, on the portraits of the characters. And we do as much research on them that's available. And uh, we, we go from there. I think just to add one more thing, it's Adam. Uh, it's 
fun to have the miniatures that also match your character on the board. And that's pretty right. Usually we would, and we've created dozens and dozens and dozens of characters of our own over the years. And I think, uh, you know, our players here weren't really sacrificing as much uh, because, you know, most players are like, oh, I don't want to play an iconic because it's not my character that I made. Well, our guys have made so many and we've played so so often in so many modules over the years that they're just not, they're not as attached to the process of, oh, I have to build my own guy without any, you know, I'm going to pick out my own art, I'm going to pick out my own miniature. Well, this way they actually have the challenge of building a character to match all of that, to match the miniature, to match it. Or you already have it and it's going to be represented on the board. It's your guy, it's, it's the miniature that represents you exactly. So it's kind of neat also. And, and I would add one more thing that our fans can also tell when they look and they watch, you know, our, our either video or look at our photos, they see the iconics and they know who's who on the board. So they're able to quickly assess, oh, okay, I see Valoros, um, you know, engaging the, you know, the dark young or, or whatever happens. Okay, that's Faya, the witch in the back. They, they know as well because they've seen the art and are familiar with it through the branding that Paizo does uh, with these iconics. And so they get a chance to follow along a little bit easier with a lot of our work. Yeah, this is Sterling. It, it, it represents a challenge for players. It, it's a new challenge that uh, a lot of players haven't had to go through. A lot of, um, I'm sure, Brian, as a GM, you can attest to, you know, people get really married to that identity of what their character is and what it means to them, sometimes to their own detriment. Uh, and so over time, if you feel like the game is stagnating in certain ways a little bit, adding these kinds of things in, and I think that was one of the reasons one of the reasons why Adam came up with the idea in the first place was like, how do we see something new? How do we put a spin on this? How do we kind of uh, de-optimization is the word that we sometimes use, you know, because you have a lot of min-maxers uh, in games like that. In games like uh, Pathfinder, it's just something that happens in the world in general. Um, and so we've kind of tried to move away from min-maxing uh, and really uh, be more about telling the story uh, and Again, that goes along with the immersion that we talk about all the time. So that's why you went with the 15 point buy, because that's more what the adventure is written for. So you're going for the actual experience. Plus, it's not about the optimization. It's about the adventure. You got it. Faisal writes their adventures and all the encounters are designed for four characters with a 15 point buy. So if you really want to see what it's like or how it plays out and you're tracking data, then you should probably be playing it with the four character 15 point by system. Okay. Well, that's actually really good. So Eric and Sterling, you're both playing, uh, you're both PCs in this. Yes. So what characters are you playing uh, out of the iconics? And I wonder is what's the party made up of? Um, this is I'm playing Erasmus, the medium. And mm -hmm, he's been a lot of fun so far. It's one of the newer classes from uh, occult adventures. The second class. Nice. And, and uh, what, what are you playing, Sterling? Yeah, um, I'm playing um, Alahazra, the Oracle. Uh, she's been around for, for quite a while with Paizo, um, yeah. but is an, a new class for me anyways. I've never played an Oracle uh, before um, and don't often play cleric classes in, in my whole role-playing career. I haven't been a big cleric person. So um, having those kind of abilities is, is definitely represented a new challenge for me. Um, and I think for speaking on Eric on Erasmus is really tough too because he channels, he, he's kind of a, a vessel. And so Erasmus himself is sort of like pasta you know, you, you have pasta is really just meant for sauce to be put on. So you experiment with different sauces and that's how you get your flavors. And so Erasmus is kind of like that. He's kind of just this, I don't want to call it hollow, but he's this thing where you can put this flavor on it. So he channels the spirits of his ancestors and then he can become different kinds of characters, which has been really difficult because he has to make so many stat blocks. I mean, how many did you have to do here? Seven. Seven for different stat blocks for each level. Whoa. So you yeah. get to go over your normal stat block when you don't have a spirit channel, and then there's six different types of spirits. And I would say, since they all affect your your basic stats, like your saving those and whatnot, you have to create all those stat blocks just to make sure you don't make a mistake. It's a pretty Dang. difficult class yeah. to use properly, but uh, it's been interesting to see. I don't think anyone has seen, at least no one has uh, documented a medium up, uh, you know, we're at what, thir you're 13th, 13th now? Yeah. yeah, so no one's really documented a, a medium up to that height because Occult Adventures is a pretty new book. So It's a very hard pasta, I guess, if you call it al dente. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the, other, 
Um, again, this is Eric. This is the, the, the other characters are um, Quinn, the investigator, and uh, Thea, the witch. And um, oh. when we first we first discovered this, we were going to do it anyway. But uh, when we found that the James Jacobs himself picked these four iconics, we were jumping. We we're like, okay, we're definitely doing this. We're committing to the role. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's a Cthulhu expert. So we were going to go by his recommendations, and we jumped right in with these four. You're you're playing a horror adventure. Does that make it challenging to play a psychic magic user who could be who can have trouble with his magic if he's affected by a fear effect? It's happening right now. Oh goodness! Uh, right now. Yeah, that was the main reason I saved that question for the spoiler section because I mm-hmm. knew you were playing a psychic magic character and was like, "How does that work when you get scared? Because your emotion your emotion components don't work." Well, since uh, Sterling here is also one of the PCs, I can't say too much because I would spoil it for him. But I'll say that um, it is very dangerous to meddle with things you don't understand. And psychic magic is very hard to understand. So put two and two together for me, please. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not. <laughs> we've also yeah. been. This is Sterling speaking. Sorry, not to interrupt, Brian. Uh, we've also been in an encounter already. It's cool that you pointed that out. But we were in an encounter yesterday where there was uh, a creature in the room that was like being empowered by specifically psychic magic. So every time Eric uh, was using Erasmus to cast a spell, it was like be powering this thing up. It was eating off of his psychic magic, which is, uh, you know, something that you're probably not going to experience that often uh, because most people aren't, you know, probably going to be playing the medium in this environment. Now, now, Sterling, I heard you're wearing contacts at the table, so you have the blinded vision, the clouded vision of Alazra. Uh, it was that was an idea that we had come up with to kind of help out with things, and um, because I'm the one taking the pictures, it was something that we that like later decided against because I have the camera in my hands at all time. But it was definitely on the docket, and I do have the contacts at home. So okay, I um, saw it. I saw it in the in the PDF, and was yeah. like, "That's that's dedication." <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had them with us uh, for the first one, and immediately this is It became an issue <laughs> within 20 minutes. Um, but hey, you know, we went through the process of getting them, and you know, trying to immerse that way. We we're always looking for new ways yeah. to immerse. This is sternly speaking. Eric, as Erasmus, Erasmus has uh, two white streaks in his hair, uh, and so we actually got hair extensions for him that get put in every morning. Uh, so he has, Eric has black hair just like Erasmus does, so the white streaks stick out quite nicely. And you guys will see, uh, we got some really neat photos and video of him doing uh, a harrow reading uh, that will be revealed at some point mm-hmm. here. And then, you know, as if you look through the, the PDF and through the Facebook, you can see some pictures where you can see those streaks in his hair. Oh, that's cool. That's really neat. I like that. Oh, so man. what you, you said that's going on right now. So tell us what's going on in the adventure right now. Um, this is Sterling speaking again. We are in uh, a city that we don't think is from this plane. We're not 100% sure exactly what's going on. And it's out in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles from anything. I think we had to, we walked for, what, 17 days to get there? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Our characters are especially aligned with what's happening in the Adventure Pass, of, of course, and there's something going on with us that is triggering different things happening. We're awakening some strange creatures that lie uh, underneath this city. And then there's something, well, we don't know what it is, called the Eater of Worlds or the World, the world Eater. Ender. The World Ender or something along those lines. Something World Eater. Eater world the World Eater. Yeah, Eater that we have to try and stop. And anytime that you're getting told that you need to stop something that eats worlds. So, yeah. I, I hate to put them on the spot. But, I mean, you guys are all about total immersion, so can I ask Erasmus about what's going on right now? Uh, you could. Uh, the response might be a little curt, um, because he's not quite himself at the moment. Um, yeah, when I gotta he, hear uh, this. <laughs> uh, again, I have, to be li- I have to limit what I say because Sterling's playing, but, um, you know, as, as, as we said before, Erasmus channels spirits, and the one he channels normally is his sister, Nissa, who is the champion, who's an Ustalava champion, uh, who, who passed away, obviously. But now there's something else in there with her, and nobody knows what it is. And it's, Ooh. Yeah, it's Ooh. very it's very strange. Everyone's noticed there's definitely some personality changes. I've been role-playing it up for about a day now. And, uh, yeah, it's something that's not friendly, and that's, that's the most I can say. This is Adam here. I'll just add, it's, it's sort of a battle for control between the Erasmus himself and then the spirit that he channels, Nyssa usually, and then this third 
the spirit who were slowly getting pieces of the personality uh, of this spirit given out that tell a bit of the story of maybe part of the path or here, you know, in the city that we're, we're currently adventuring in. Um, and yeah, it's, it's not looking pleasant. Uh, <laughs> really nothing's been pleasant about, <laughs> about this, but uh, it's just yet another um, mystery. This path has been full of mystery and enigma. And just, it's just when you think you've solved one, you end up with 10 more questions an hour later. And um, you know, so the core story of Strange Aeon starting in book one is these are characters that are recovering from amnesia. Where you are now, are you already completely recovered? Uh, this is Erica. Yes, to a certain extent, we have recovered most of our uh, memories. And that's been a lot of fun along the way. I mean, I mean, the fugue state is something that's stressed in the player's guide that I mentioned before that you should play with. And I absolutely agree with that. If you're playing Strange Aeons, definitely use the fugue state. It's very rewarding instead of just creating four guys and just, you know, our fish out of water and coming to the campaign that way. But, um, but now there's new challenges. I mean, since we are the, the four characters that are part of this, it definitely is still continuing to play details in the story that uh, probably wouldn't occur if we weren't playing these four. More specifically, I mean, as the medium, since this is happening to me, if you don't play with a medium in the group, you lose this whole thing that's going on. It just doesn't exist in the game. And that's kind of fun for me, at least, you know, to, to see this, you know, my character really that embedded and attached into the story of this game. But the authors took so much time and, and our GM took so much time in helping prepare and bring to life. It sounds like a good combination of a party, too. So it's it's you're playing the characters that the adventure was designed for. All right. So since Erasmus isn't exactly himself, Alahazra, what is your outtake of what's going on right now? I'm actually really scared about what's happening right now. Right before we came on the cast, we had a little bit of an incident where I was trying to help Erasmus and it did not work out in our favor uh, earlier yesterday, we actually had uh, myself uh, is as Alahazra lawful good character, and then Quinn the investigator, uh, which is played by Daniel Scholler, was also a lawful good character. And one of the really cool things about this adventure path, the horror aspect of it, which also plays into our experiment part of this. So part of the experiment was uh, we wanted to be able to show people and show Paizo whether or not you could play this adventure path. Uh, without knowing anything about Cthulhu and, and Lovecraft, would it still be just as cool for people who are ignorant of it? And I have to say that so like right now, especially after this fifth thing, I am super, super sold on that because yesterday Quinn murdered someone and it wasn't even part of the game mechanics. It was just something that Dan, the player, decided to do he thought he was doing the right thing, actually went through an alignment shift, which we have not seen in years and years and years. And so Alahazra, being now the only lawful good character left in the party, is actually scared of her uh, of her party members. So I'm very uncomfortable. That's interesting. It, you, it seems like this particular game has unlocked a lot of new experiences for all of you. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Adam here, uh, just to add, yeah, it's been really, a te- has tested their sanity. I want to say just even, I know that people told us going in, you know, like, oh, you're going to go insane. That's all we kind of heard about Lovecraft or Cthulhu is this insane, you know, or sanity rules are going to fit your characters are going to go nuts. Um, but we out of game have been tested and I've enjoyed watching them. Uh, just fall apart Thanks. at times. And uh, sorry, guys. Uh, but I mean, it's different than, you know, when I mean, you run so many of these things, it's just, it's, it, this one's completely different. And uh, they have really been tested. And I think yesterday we saw a decision that was made by a player where he just, he cracked in and out of game after seeing so much horror. And it was afterwards, we're all sitting around going, this is just incredible. I and mean, we've never really seen that go down. You're, just not going to find that and, and we've played a lot of you know a few ap's now for pa- for paizo and uh you know just modules in the past and haven't seen that level of immersion that would affect a player even outside of the game so paint a picture for us so you're playing a horror game what are some specific things that have happened in the game that have actually scared you guys if any i mean have you been like out of character frightened by things that have happened during the game uh this is sterling yes absolutely I, especially in the first adventure in search of sanity, being in that closed environment with the, just the candlelight, um, and trying to, you know, imagining what it would be like to be in this, um, kind of locked off place. I mean, the, the asylum is on an Island 
And then there was a number of things that happened a couple of times when we went outside, it was raining eyeballs one time, which was something that we had never experienced <laughs> before. And each time we would go outside, there was a different weather effect that was happening. And then there was some also just some weird stuff going on is particularly outside of the walls. And I felt uncomfortable a couple of times, like, you know, mixing the music and the fog and the candles and all those things. Like, I got to say that um, In Search of Sanity actually as a as a person affected me. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Did it ever make you question as a character if it was really happening or if you were all going mad together? All the time. Uh, this is Eric. Yes, I agree all the time. You know, you never know what's real and what's not here. I mean, between all the dreams and, you know, recovering from, you know, the amnesia and all the strange things that are happening, you, you never know what's, what's really going on. And the city right now that we're in, I mean, like you look around and it's distorting. I mean, like there's shapes and everything's changing and, you know, turning and twisting. And, you, and, you know, you're looking one way, you put your hand and you look at the same way. And it's a different vista, like you're facing a different direction. Like it's it's maddening. What are some of the most horrifying monsters you've fought? Um, this is Sterling. I... Gosh, there was one really, really uh, nasty looking thing. There, it seems that not knowing anything about Cthulhu, they really like mouths on extra mouths <laughs> and faces on things. And tentacles. And tentacles. And so there's been a couple of creatures. What was that thing? It was a young of... Dark young. A dark, dark young of Shodnagroth, yeah. um, which anyone who knows Cthulhu would kind of know what that is, but... Uh, that thing was really, really scary uh, looking. Um, and then there were just some other aberrations like in the uh, in, in the asylum. What was the, the tattered pickled, man? Tattered man, was tattered man. And the pickled punks. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. This is like a um, a favorite creature of James Jacobs. I Eric Mona. Oh, Eric Mona. Sorry. Um, and it's this little itty bitty thing that's like inside of a glass jar. And it's like a little I don't know. It's like, it's like a, a little green fetus. I yeah, think, right? yeah. And it's, <laughs> it, they like try and attach themselves to you and they put this spike into your neck and like suck psychic energy. I don't even know it. We, it, it was not cool. <laughs> that thing was yeah. gross. There's been a lot of gross yeah. things have going on. Well, they've been afraid to sleep. This is Adam here at times. And I think that's, you know, the path because so much of it has to do with dreams. And in, in fact, an entire volume, uh, part three was all about dreams and entering the dreamlands. And going on dream quests there to retrieve things that you needed in the real world, piece together the story. And at one point, they just they weren't sure that sleeping was even something they should just be doing. And I think they, they were they were like, let's just avoid it. What's the worst thing that can happen? We end up fatigued. Okay, then exhausted. Everyone runs some numbers on your character. You know, if you're just exhausted because I think we can avoid sleep because we weren't safe in the first module either they were um, when they slept there. They were always in danger of this creature called the Tatter Man that would hunt you in, in your dreams and um yeah I, I think it's just you've never you've never felt safe there is no safe place in strange aeons yeah, this is eric again now the tatter man was a you know that's also a module one the very first encounter this is how we start a campaign ready guys all right so quinn wakes up you know we're and all of us are there and you know the tatter man appears adam rolls the amber die natural 20 kills quinn on the first roll of the game <laughs> talk about setting the tone Right. And then we're like, Oh my God, what just happened? Like, and Dan's like, uh, 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 and then we all fight. We all die. We're like, that's it. We've all this preparation. We're dead in the first encounter. And of course I sat down. I'm like, all right, guys, we need to talk about, you know, what we're going to do with this. Uh, (laughs) it's actually part of the story, but, uh, so that they didn't know this and they were all going to die anyway. Um, but I decided to toss a die out just to kind of sell it to them. So it happened to come up, of course, natural 20. That just helped me so much there. But, uh, you know, I mean, they, it's part of the story that they will end up that way and then they're going to die in their dream and wake up together in the asylum and so forth. But you know, I just figured, ah, oh, toss out the Ember die. You never know. I mean, what if I get a 20? I can show it to them and say, look, see, and then, oh, they just, they just bought it right away that Dan was Sold. dead. You know, there, was, there goes Quinn. And one after another, they were murdered in this dream. And, uh, you know, I sat down behind the screen and acted frustrated as GM, you know, we're going to do, you're all dead. And just, they, they were <laughs> silent. They were so, <laughs> wow. and, uh, let them sit like that for about a minute, maybe. Yeah, it's too long. Maybe too long. <laughs> it's a little too long. Maybe another minute. Okay. Two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Cause uh, if they all die, you're done, right? If you have it. a TPK. Yeah. Yes. I mean, depending on where we're at in the path, we would consider maybe restarting it if it was perhaps the first adventure or second adventure but other than that no we would just that we call it and uh, we've had tpks that's that's part of the game so we've 
uh, we would just pick up and um, you know make a new party, pick out a new path, start a new project for Paizo, and, and go on. You you beat a record on part four of the experiment with over sixty hours played and ninety three spent in the same house. How does this particular one look like it's going to be? Uh, so this is Adam here. So far, it's been fairly average. I want to say you know we're day three here. Um, so we played, I think it was 17 or 19 or something the first day 19. and then 16 yesterday with that's 35 hours of play. Um, and then today we'll probably clock 14 or 12. Um, and then I think we'll go through, we might have to end up going through. So that could end up, I would say most of these AP volumes we've seen, if you have anywhere between 40 and 60 hours, that's a really comfortable range to work with where you can take your time and really develop the story and not have to worry too much about whether or not you're going to complete it. So we make sure we book four full days now um, to do these things. But uh, yeah, it is a lot of time spent in the same house. I think this one's it's going to be up there, you know I mean? Yeah. I mean, it'll at least be close to to that. Mm. High level combat does it to you. I and mean, it's really takes a lot longer and the stat blocks are longer. Players take more time on their turns. Even if you rush them, you know, you can only go so fast and you don't want to jeopardize this thing you spent so much time on. So you know, while we try to make decisions quickly, you're still just dealing with so much more information at these levels. So, how many hours in are you this marathon, and how do you feel? Uh, this is Eric. Um, I think we are what about forty hours in? Would you say? Yeah, thirty-five to forty. Um, feel okay, I guess. I mean, not not terribly sane in and out of game. Um, yeah, we're doing okay so far. I mean, everyone's everyone's uh for uh, for now like decently rested, well fed, but uh, we're gonna have to push pretty hard the next two days. So. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, this is Sterling. I, I mean, sometimes the marathons, and I think if you guys decide to ever do this, Brian, if you ever decide to run a game like this, and then I'll just for the listeners as well, you got to be aware that this some, some of these things will fluctuate and your GM is going to have to be flexible to deal with it because sometimes we'll be moving right along, doing very well, handling encounters, handling role-playing, and everything can go very smoothly, and then you can get into a combat, especially at this level, that can bog everything down, and then you can completely change your timeline. So then you may have to readjust and move very quickly through combat, and if your players can't adjust to that, and your, especially if your GM can't adjust to the quick combat, uh, then you'll it'll quickly get out of spiral out of control, and you won't be able to finish. Um, and it depends on what your situation is, but as far as ours is concerned, you know, we are setting aside this chunk of time to do this specific thing. And if we don't finish it, then, uh, you know, we're in trouble. So we, we've got to manage our time really closely. To give an example of that, Adam here, I can just say that we were uh, in specific to this module. They were really ahead of schedule. They, they cruised through part one, uh, the desert journey to the, to the lost city, uh, you know, this, this forgotten city. And, in the city, they ran into last night uh, a flying polyp, which is this horrific creature that has control over the winds, and uh, it's composed of it's amorphous, composed of eyes and mouths, and it flies and just it's an incredible stat block. And you know when they give it two pages in a bestiary, it's you know it's going to be something that even Paizo likes. So this thing's really good. It's it's incredible. Uh, a lot of abilities and it was a long combat. It just, it got us behind schedule. There was nothing they could do. They fought it as hard as they could for, you know, what, three hours or something like that in game. And, and everyone was moving their turns along. It just took that much time and you could not seem to get this thing. It had so many defenses and, and ways to just whittle us down. And our parties, they're, they're very defensive. So, um, they just, they like the long game, you know, and before you know it, it was, just, we were behind schedule. So we woke up this morning and tried to get a strong start. And uh, then immediately kind of ran into this Grave Knight, uh, Inquisitor Grave Knight. Thank you, John Compton, if you're listening out there <laughs> for this stat block. It's a thank you gift. Uh, but yeah, they ran into this Grave Knight that just laid out the party, you know, and uh, just out of nowhere. Now they're once again kind of, yeah, it was three character deaths in a single battle and they were able to survive. They do have at this level, you can bring characters back with Breath of Life and there are ways to raise dead and you can recover from that and teleport out and come back. But yeah, really just, you never know what encounter is going to set you back. And you've got to try and just remember that schedule as you go and uh, stay on it. Grave Knight is a nightmare as it is. I can't imagine an Inquisitor. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Can, can you share with your players there what um, what god it was an Inquisitor of? Rovagug. Oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> man, I, can just, I could just beast. imagine its domain. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, I, I felt that firsthand. 
Um, this is Eric. Uh, Erasmus is one of the characters that died uh, twice, actually. Um, I died twice in back-to-back rounds. I think he set a record. <laughs> set two a deaths record. in six seconds. Yeah. Yep. Oh, oh I've never seen someone. You got Breath of Life? Yep. Yeah. And then I was prone on the ground with 14 hit points, and it hit me again. For <laughs> 50 damage. Killed me. Oh, again. I've never seen that before. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> it, it's almost like the person... The person who breath of life you also killed you. It's like That's getting right. cure light wounds when you're unconscious. Yeah, God, that God actually it. happened. Yeah. First adventure. Erasmus's first death was in module one, and that similar thing happened. And that's why he has the reanimated medium archetype, because that's the only archetype that I'm familiar with in the game that allows you to come back one time only without a raised dead, the first level. It, so. He's like, um, in addition to the insanity you're getting from the game, you're going to start getting paranoid of healing. <laughs> oh, there's that too. <laughs> oh God! Please don't wake me up in the, in, at the feet of a grave knight. Please, don't. <laughs> yeah. Adam here. I just want to say it was about 145 damage. I think I put out the round after that on Quinn yeah. and laid him out <laughs> before they decided. All right, time to withdraw. Oh, thank God, right. teleport. Yeah, three hits, 145. Yeah. yeah. Hey, we're at that level. You know. Mm-hmm. So this includes Adam. What are your favorite things that have happened in this marathon? Because you've documented the other things so people can see that. But let's give us an exclusive. What are some of your favorite things that have happened in the one you're playing right now? Um, I guess the thing that I was talking about earlier, the whole thing with the spirit, that's that's unique and new and interesting and a challenge. Um, that's been fun to role play. I mean, role playing different you know personalities as a medium is, is fun to begin with. But having a whole new thing to do that I wasn't prepared for that... You know, that's, that's a whole new set of challenges that, uh, that's very exciting to the detriment of the other players, of course. What about you, Adam? Uh, for myself here, Adam, uh, I'd say so far, wow, I've, I have a lot actually. I really enjoyed this module, even just from prepping it. Uh, I was excited coming into this marathon. You know, every one of them is different. Every module feels different. Every marathon has its own identity, but, uh, I just, this one, believe in a journey. I think I really enjoyed the battle in the beginning where they were on their way through the desert and, in order to earn the respect of these ash giants, they had to fight a colossal scorpion, this colossal black scorpion that I found a toy scorpion that was six inches, just seems massive on a table with one inch grid and, you know, just slam this thing down and <laughs> put on some <laughs> epic fight music. And the giants were the way the author had it written, you know, they formed this ring around the, the, the circle around you and they cheer and, and, you know, draw the scorpion out and you have to fight it and bring it down and prove that you're strong enough to earn their respect. And um, so it was just one of those classic, We, you know, you're in this path that's full of horror and, and mystery and all of that. And then occasionally you just get these really nice moments that are a break from that where players get a chance to just be heroes for a little while, you know, just be it's just good old Pathfinder, or, you know, what, what they're used to from the past. And, and uh, then you get reminded that it's horror again. Oh, right away. <laughs> that, that lasts. It's a very short window. Yeah. But but it's nice to have it. I really I appreciate that. You know, and I think and the players having them all jumping around the table, slapping hands and cheering. And it just was a high point you know, early on. Oh, uh, this is Sterling. Maybe this is a little bit of a cop out. But so I think just the whole experience of the of this adventure so far. So I don't know if it would be any one moment, but as we've been going, it just keeps adding into the feeling of everything and this uh, kind of sense that we're entering into realms that we really things in realms that we really, really don't understand. And in fact, our characters found the Necronomicon, which I mean, anybody who is alive probably has heard of the Necronomicon before, even if you don't know anything <laughs> about Lovecraft, you have heard that word used and you you know that it's probably about this book. So we actually found the Necronomicon in Groovy the game. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, you know, I, the whole thing has just been a really cool story building up. I think John Compton has done a great job so far and Adam has really done an awesome job bringing the NPCs and stuff to life. So That's really great to hear about that. You guys are talking about desert and, and the cities and everything. What region is this adventure path really located in? Adam here. So this is one of the most interesting APs we've seen just because of the amount of territory covered. We started in fog shrouded Gothic horror Ustalav. And before the characters even really knew what was happening, they were traveling and moving and going south and found themselves hundreds of miles through the River Kingdoms and then all the way down to Taldor and then into Kadira and 
eventually Katapesh, the city of Volcano. Now they are in, in Kazmaran. So they are far off the map in a place called the Parchlands that has never been detailed before. And so what's neat about it is they don't even really know where they are. And that's even out of game. I think that's really neat. The decision not to include a map, uh, which was uh, Adam Daigle, the developer, had talked about this. And that has been so powerful for our group in particular. I know that um, you know every group is a little bit different with how they see this, but we have really, and I've seen firsthand with the players here, not having a map of it. It's it's incredible because they have to all the time say, "I don't know where I'm at. We don't know where the we don't even really know what Casmaron looks like. We don't know how far we are. We're afraid to t- try and teleport back to anything that we know because we're not even sure of the distance we've covered." We, at one point, they were pretty much lost uh, in the parchlands uh, <laughs> when our guides ditch us, and uh, you know they. And the camels were dead. <laughs> and, oh and so before you know it, I mean, it was one of these things where they don't really know where they are anymore. And I think that was the whole, that was one of the goals I hope, uh, or maybe it was one that, that John Compton put in this, but uh, for this particular volume. And they've succeeded. I mean, it's it's incredible. The party feels lost. They feel so far from where they started. They've got to be a few thousand miles from Ustalav at this point, uh, where they began in volume one. With that, is it really plays up to the horror aspect. Not knowing where you are does will give a sense of dread. So that that's part playing into part of the horror aspect of the adventure path, and that's which actually would be make it a lot better. Plus, I that is all you're right. That is a lot of territory covered for anything like this, and it's impressive. Michael, you are way too perky for talking about horror because I was so drawn into that story that when you popped in with, well, I jumped in my chair. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that guy that dies first. It's all happy and positive. We're going to make it out of this, guys. We're going to be perfectly great. There's a machete in my chest, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> so there's no maps uh, There's no maps added in for the adventure path on, in, on any of the modules or just the one you guys are in right now? Uh, and the one that we're in right now, yes, it's Adam here again. Yeah, the one that we're in right now, they have there's a map of the city of Nerozavin that they're in, but not of where they are on Galarian. So they don't know how far they are from um, Garund, and you know, just it's it's incredible uh, how far they've traveled from the beginning. I mean, really, continents that have been crossed so at this point. Yeah, everything has been based on just verbal descriptions, so it must have a real old school feel to it. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, I think that's agreed for all of us here. Right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Hi, this is Eric. Sorry. Um, I, I I know a lot about the world. I've I, I read all the Pathfinder tales, and so I'm I'm pretty savvy about where like, a lot of things are and like the lore and and this I have no clue what's going on. So you've even lost me, you know, in this in, in this module, which is pretty cool. Like I'm I'm on I'm on new territory, you know, and it's pretty it's pretty cool. That's awesome. So, like, uh, character aspect-wise, do, do you guys, are they, do they think they're just not going to make it out of here at this point, or they still got some hope? Uh, this is Eric. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of both. I mean, it goes, it's, uh, there's a lot of ups and downs in a marathon, you know? Um, but we're still, we're, we, we got our, we got our chins up, and we're, we're definitely going to try to uh, stop the world from ending, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's always no kind big of, deal. Yeah, no big deal, you know? But it's, you know, this is the hard adventure, I mean, it's always going to be bleak. Right. I mean, there's 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 no there's no fireworks. I mean, come on, I mean, we're, we're, this is hard adventure. We're, we die a lot. I've died twice already today. So <laughs> just today. But how many times have you guys actually gone down throughout this? Like the whole the whole set. Adam, uh, I believe it's Adam here. Yeah, it was. I think thirteen deaths or twelve going into this one might have been a little higher. There's maybe it's twelve. Um, <laughs> a cheap answer is check out their PDF. I was looking at it. And they keep it like a ticker. There's, there's a whole, yeah. They, they keep post. it very well documented. Yeah. Good Lord. I didn't, yeah, I didn't even notice that in the PDF. Well, it's trying. 152 pages long. <laughs> and it's growing every day. It's a, it's a living PDF. Yeah. So we keep adding to it. And uh, in fact, that, we'll finish part six and then continue to add to it for a couple of months. I have a lot of material I've saved up. That once I'm not prepping adventures, I'll be able to add in there, especially for GMs. I wanted to know if you've had any experience with horror adventures before this one, and how does this compare? Because you you had no experience with Lovecraftian material. I'm wondering how this compares to other horror adventures. Uh, this is Eric. Um, my only experience is way back in the day when Ravenloft was out. I played a couple, you know, sessions of that, but not too much. But that was more like the gothic horror stuff, you know, you know, werewolves and you know you know, vampires and stuff like that. That's, this is not that kind of horror. There are no werewolves and vampires. There's much worse things. 
than that in the world, apparently. So, yeah, very limited experience on my, on my end. So then follow-up question, and this is only for the players. You have no experience with Lovecraftian horror. Um, from your experience in the adventure so far, how would you describe Lovecraftian horror? Uh, this is Sterling. Um, that's a very good question, actually. I really I like that question. It's all about fear, I think, and what fear really means to you and the different things that can happen to a person when they are afraid uh, even if the fear is based in something that may or may not be real. And then of the fear of, of going insane. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I know for myself, I, I've had some family members who have dealt with, um, with mental issues, uh, with different kinds of depression things. And then I've also had some friends who, uh, have had some family members who have actually been put into, you know, committed and, that's a really scary thing because it's not a, a cancer, it's not a cold, it's not really something that we know all that much about. And I think that Lovecraft is a lot about that too. It's not just about these terrible, horrible creatures, but it's about like, maybe you're imagining the entire thing. And that's the worst thing ever because you have no way to stop any of it from happening to you if it's just all in your mind. Um, and as we know, the mind's a pretty powerful place. So this yeah. is very, very true. As, as GM, I can try to add, it's about what you don't know rather than what you know. And that is sometimes scarier. Just describing something or having players fear it and never even encounter it, maybe. That, uh, that's just, it's harder on their minds and on their psyches than, you know, what, okay, here it is. This is what it looks like. Roll initiative. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's not terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> now, Adam, before you ran this one, had you any experience running horror? Uh, yeah, I did actually. Uh, I played Ravenloft uh, in the '90s for a while, and I think that it gave me enough to build on that probably helped here. But at the time, I feel like maybe I was just too young, and the group wasn't mature enough. We were in high school, you know. It just wasn't. We were not going to be able to capture horror in mom's living room on Saturday afternoon. It just was impossible you know then that it just needed to be done this way i feel like and we had to be this is this came at the right time in our in our gaming careers i feel like and um that you just need a group of players that are willing to uh, go for immersion and go for story and go for ambiance and atmosphere and that they're willing to kind of give up some control and um, play a style of campaign that's going to focus on those things rather than on your traditional sort of uh, kick down doors fight monsters stuff like that now, I know no one's perfect when it comes to immersion. So, in this game, have you had any really good breaks where someone just busted up laughing or it, they just couldn't take it anymore and you just lost it? Has it happened or are you just too pro, too pro for that? Uh, this is Derek speaking. Um, it has to happen in a marathon. It has to. <laughs> because if you can't take, you know, take a couple of minutes to laugh and like break out a little bit, I mean, you probably will go insane. But, uh, yeah, there's been plenty of times we'll laugh something off or, you know, something off, this, off to the side. It might not even be game related, but, uh, yeah, you definitely need to have those moments where you can break character and, and just, you know, be yourself for a minute. You know what I mean? In four days, it's, it's, all, it's almost unavoidable. So I got some questions about tips for our listeners who are playing or running games. First to the players, are there any tips you can give players about getting immersed in their characters in a game? Uh, I, well, maybe I'll let Eric talk about that first. He's, he's pretty big on that. Um, well, what I like to do is, you know, um, I like to, you know, obviously take the character that you're going to have and do as much research as possible about, you know, where you're from, you know, what your abilities are, and then, you know, try to fit yourself in, in, into the setting. I mean, like, you know, we refer to the, we refer to that as embedding, you know, instead of doing, you know, something strange and, you know, whatever you want to play, just thrust them into the game, you know, squaring the circle, so to speak, just, you know, create a character that's very appropriate for the story. And just let the story consume you and, and you'll find yourself a part of it. And to, to us, that's, that feels more rewarding, you know, when you're, when you're definitely involved with, like, with the plot and everything else that's going on. So, you know, yeah, just make, create a character for the game that's, that's very appropriate and it's, you know, it'll, it'll pay dividends for you, I promise. Yeah. And this is Sterling. I, I to add to that, one of the things that I like to do, not everyone does this, but I think that we do, we kind of, a lot of the players pick up on it, but I really love to, a lot of people plan characters out from first level up to 15th to kind of get an idea of where they're going and how their feats are going to play out and all those different things. One of the things we've tried to do is we get an idea of where things are going, but we leave it kind of amoeba-like. Like 
how can we adapt to what's happening in the adventure itself and so if a specific things happens a whole happens a whole bunch of times then i will actually like uh for instance we were on a boat for a long time never really planned on taking any profession sailor ranks but we actually had to steer the boat because we lost our captain and the, <laughs> and then we lost the first mate and Half so we had to you know kind of take over a couple of times and so at the end when I leveled, I decided, you know what, I'm going to put at least one rank into profession sailor. And I think there was another thing when we were in the asylum, I had to try and cook meals for a bunch of refugees. And of course, again, never really planned on taking profession cook, but I decided to sacrifice a couple of ranks into that just to add to the flavor of everything. So, and it's actually worked out in our favor uh, a bunch of times where we've had to come back to those later. And without those ranks and that kind of extra push on the skill, we wouldn't have been able to get further in the story. Yeah, I guess this is Eric. Um, it's, it's, it's very good to be, um, be cognizant of both sides of the coin. I mean, you have to be able to adapt and you have to be able to plan. And the people that can do that the best are the most successful players. I mean, you have to be able to, everything's got to be organic, but in a controlled environment. So I think I could add, just Adam here, uh, a little bit of an example on the GM side of that, where, uh, specific to this path, since we're talking about strange aeons, there's an NPC uh, known as Winter Klaska, and she is a cleric of Phrasma. So, when I'm trying to embed an NPC, uh, I want to try to do my best to get the players to appreciate her identity. And, you know, rather than just, oh, it's the NPC's turn or, oh, it's, you know, this, and, you know, over the course of so many adventures, I think we struggle to, to appreciate or I get them, I struggle to get them to appreciate each NPC. So I work hard to do that. And so for her, she was a cleric of Phrasma. She seemed very devoted, um, to, you know, sort of adding that to anyone around her as well. So I managed to um, just consider, right, I'm going to sit down with Inner Sea Gods, the hardcover for a little while, and pick out as much as I can from there that is sort of phrasma oriented and, and have her take all the feats, build a sort of a, a block over the, over a course of 12 levels where she has eventually all of the phrasma feats. She takes phrasma spells. And then we've been really fortunate in that we've had Savannah Broadway here to play her live and really added another element to her you know the, that she's become an, a player here where it's not winter the npc it's winter the pc now with them that's joined this thing from module one on and uh, has all of these really neat you know phrasma qualities to her and uh, really in the end i mean it's funny it has become sort of the party leader in some ways when how often can you say an npc has become the party leader it's you know it's it's not very often so um, and try to do something every time to give each NPC an identity. And usually it involves feats or spells or something like that, just because you're going to be playing so many monsters that you can't always be role-playing your NPC, even if, let's say, you don't pass it off to another player. Um, it's hard to always be that person for them. So the feats and the spells really help. You know, that makes me feel really good that you're doing that that god justice with a character because Phrasma is my favorite deity. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah she's I have... I have played three characters that are worshippers for worshippers of Phrasma, a cleric, an inquisitor, and a sorcerer, and it's my absolute favorite. I can, I can draw the holy symbol on my chest without looking. <laughs> nice. we, have, we have that around the table here quite often. We do the whole time. <laughs> yeah. spiral over the heart. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I I yeah. picked it up after reading um after reading um oh That's Dave Gross books. Yeah. Uh, guess, yeah no Dave, Dave Gross book. books. Oh, Jake Christopher. Oh. Yeah, uh, which one was it? It was uh, Prince of Wolves. Mm. No, the first now one I got to read Death Heretic. The Death Heretic's amazing. Absolutely. James Sutter's, uh, he, he's, he's the man. From a GM's point of view, like, what are some tips you have for running a horror game? For running a horror game? Uh, let's see what we've done here. Over the course of many of these adventures, I think I've added a little bit to each one, so they've been kind of cumulative, but this one is we have actually allowed very few or very little phone usage. Uh, I think that's part of the game here now in 2017 is that people do need access to you know, the PDFs or what, what they're trying to do with the PRD online and so forth. But we tried to keep people off the phones. It was one of the tips that I saw that John Compton had also alluded to in, in the beginning of the adventure um, that he had had some success with. And, you know, we've, we've done that. Uh, we've tried to I use a lot of description uh, and, and give each encounter a little bit more uh, this isn't your typical, okay, here's the door, kick it down, 10 by 10 room, there's a monster, go. You know, so I might describe the room a lot more and, uh, you know, just try to really use a lot of descriptive words. You just take the time to maybe even think out ahead of time a little bit, picture the room 
picture the, 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 the manor Count lived in, in, let's say module two, what does it feel like to the players when they go in and have that in your mind ahead of time? Don't put your time so much into maybe where the Hound of Tindalos is located in the room when the encounter starts, but what does it sound like? You know, what, um, what is, how about the drool that's dripping from its mouth as it hits the floor? You know, and um, the, co- the crazy colors they're going to see in these monsters are so they always have different colors in this adventure path. You know, describe that. Use a lot of visuals uh, to where you maybe, um, you know, have access. We were very fortunate, like Sterling mentioned, to have that screen, that 70 inch screen that we have. So we put the art up on there. But um, I tried to draw, you know, a lot of, or get access to a lot of these other pictures, try to draw connections to where they're traveling. So in, in the river journey, I had a lot of pictures of uh, rivers that I thought matched the river that we were on. And even for this adventure, I spent a lot of time talking to the author and the developer about what the parched lands looked like and tried to acquire a bunch of different photographs to kind of help get them really into the setting of where they're at, to feel the desert, describe the heat, um, the sweat, sweat feels like under your armor, you know, and things like that. And just really try to bring it into life that way. Um, you know, so I'd say description is a really big one. Well, that's good. Well, you know, there's one thing you could have done, though, to really describe the heat. Just put space heaters over each character. <laughs> we have, actually. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we didn't do it for this one. We did try it in, in the Emerald Spire project, our first kind of breakout project where we were noticed uh, by quite a few people. We played 195 hours in 35 days. And Whoa. it was just a rush to beat this super dungeon that had just been released. And we detailed the entire journey and, and kind of broke it down in a very, uh, almost like a sports uh, analytical report, you know, about how we did, how we beat this dungeon. And one of the things we did for every level was we tried to give it its own identity. So for the, the magma level, we turned off the air conditioning. It was the middle of July. God. It, it was, that was the most unpleasant. We played in the cold. We also played uh, for the Giant Slayer Endeavor. We all were wearing winter hats in June and we played, we actually got snow with the material polymer, polymer snow. snow and put six inches of polymer snow around our play area and stood in snow for four days. Oh my and, gosh. And we were so cold Whoa. that marathon. I got to say that cold. was, we were pushing it that one because it was so wet and cold in there. And <laughs> it was, we, I don't know if we'll do it again, uh, but that we did it <laughs> once. Okay. The, the pictures are in the PDF and on the Facebook. Uh, but yeah, it was, this is Sterling. Uh, we had, <laughs> we also cranked the AC because the house we were in when we were playing had central air and we cranked the AC the entire time. And I remember a couple of times having to go outside to the car to get something. And it was so cold inside that like transferring between the two, it hurt. Like, it physically <laughs> hurt to go outside. And then it also hurt to come back in. It was oh. Really I good. think you're fortunate that you didn't freeze over your central AC. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, oh, that's, that's just cool. That, that's, that's, that's true dedication. It hurts me to say it, but we are about out of time to talk with you guys. We've gone for, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, oh, I was liking this. It's been a heck of a journey. (laughs) I went by Uh, pretty fast. Yeah. I went really fast. Yeah. So this is the end of the spoiler section. We'll do, this is where we wrap up. So what I want to ask you, and you can choose a spokesperson for this, is share what the Order of the Ember Die has coming up, convention appearances, um, anything from anybody else or yourselves that you want to plug and contact information. Okay. Uh, this is Sterling. couple of things, I guess we've got coming up, uh, as far as, um, uh, conventions, we will be at PaizoCon. Uh, we will be running actually a marathon gaming seminar. We ran it last year at Gen Con. We'll be doing it at PaizoCon. Um, and then we will be at Gen Con this year as well. Uh, which is the 50th anniversary there, 10th anniversary at PaizoCon. We will be running the Marathon Gaming Seminar there as well, and you'll be able to see us. We have um, pretty noticeable shirts with our logos on it, so if there is anybody who's listening who wants to uh, chat about the game, just talk about anything, we love to meet folks. There are a couple of other conventions that we've considered doing, but we're not 100% sure, and then we will be at uh, GaryCon next spring, which will be the 10th anniversary for them as well. Uh, so we're actually pretty fortunate where we're hitting PaizoCon 10, GenCon 50, 
GaryCon 10, so there will be some pretty big celebrations there. Moving on, uh, upcoming material. We're not 100% sure where that's going to be going. Kind of depends on what happens in this part uh, of where we're at. Uh, if we make it from 5 going on to 6, that may change some decisions. We are in talks right now uh, to possibly do uh, the Aslant Adventure Path, but again, uh, a lot of that just depends on what happens overall because this thing is, uh, we try and plan as far ahead as we can, but it is difficult to manage depending on what happens. Yeah, yeah. Contact info, amberdie.com is our website. Uh, brings you to the rest of our social media, brings you to the Dropbox. Uh, you can also find the same things uh, on our Facebook, which is where a lot of the material is. We've chosen to to share a lot of our stuff there. I think I'd really like to plug a couple of things. Some of the people that we work with, I guess Adventure Sense, I think people should really check them out. Blue Table Painting, uh, who does all of our miniatures painting. Those guys are, are really, really incredible. If you want painted miniatures unlike any other, that's a company to go to. P-Works Maps, I think if you want to check them out. We've used their stuff a lot in this. Um, and then... Um, What's John's company's name who does the terrain? Jordy John Studios. Yeah, Jordy John Studios. You can find them on our Facebook. Um, he doesn't have a website as far as I know right now, but I think he, he has a an Etsy account, I believe. Then Deep Cut Studios, uh, which also does uh, battle maps. So if as GMs, you, Brian, and then any of the GMs listening, uh, you really want to enhance the, the playing field, uh, Deep Cut and P-Works, you can get those maps gridded. Um, but it's not usually something that's used in tabletop RPGs. They do a lot of stuff for wargaming. So we've reached out to a lot of different companies to kind of pull other game industries into tabletop RPG. Oh, that's wonderful. I am so blown away by you guys. I hope we have the honor of having you back again in the future. Oh, we really appreciate it. We've really enjoyed the conversation, and I hope that you guys would want to have us back on. Um, and if I can... I, I don't mean to to bogart anything here, but I'd also like to plug my my company Axion Studios. I uh, like I said, I'm an audio engineer, and so I do a lot of the audio stuff. I do all of the photos and all the editing, and then I also remaster maps. So if there's anybody who's out there looking to have some of these tiny tiny maps in the modules uh, blown up and and printed at high resolution, um, uh, that's something that we can do for you. So again, that can be found axionstudio.com. That's great. And we'll make sure to put links to everything that you guys mentioned in the show notes. But so I'm not presuming, is there anything else? Because you're allowed to plug anything you want for as long as you want. I don't think so. Adam, All right. Eric, and pretty good. Yeah. Well, I am going to plug my own page, Brian Darnell Photography on Facebook. That is my own thing. That's all I ever plug for myself every week. Next week, Nerd Podcast Radio is going to be having on Night Vale Bunny, who introduced us to Odin Abbott, who we've had on before. We thanked her for bringing us a regular guest by having her on the show. So episode 41 is going to be our talk with Night Vale Bunny. We, we're going to have a, a lot of fun talking with her. In fact, we already did because it's a pre-recorded episode. Uh, <laughs> and um, if you want to talk to us at Nerd Podcast Radio, you can do that on the Nerd Podcast Radio Facebook page. You can also email us at brian.nerdpodcastradio at gmail.com, mike.nerdpodcastradio at gmail.com, anthony at com, and on Twitter. That was a quick one. Yeah, that was a quick one. Uh, on Twitter, at SuperVeganBrian at Nerdcaster Mike, at Nerdcast Radio. If you are listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, please leave us a review. We really need those reviews. They help us get feedback and tell us what we need to do to improve and get better. This was a great call. That's it for the wrap-up today. Thank you guys for coming on. I'm really happy you guys are here. I know I didn't speak a ton, but I was just so in awe of what you guys were doing and this how well everything you have planned out and taken care of. I was really enjoying just listening to you guys. Everything you've done, uh, if I could ever go to one of your, your marathon gaming seminars to learn something, I definitely would. So, But again, just thanks you guys for coming. Like I said, I think that people could learn a lot from you guys if they're doing marathon, if they're running lots of games at a con. And I would totally want to go to one of your seminars just to help me with that, because that's something I do sometimes. I'll run eight games at a con, and that's 40 hours. Yeah. So he he does that, and I think that would really help you, Brian, even though I know you are very well versed in the art of GMing. But 
always room for improvement, and I think these guys are the ones that can help you. <laughs> Every single episode, you have to blow my head up about GMing. Oh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. been great, uh, great being here. Yeah, it was really fun having you guys here. I look forward to having you guys back on. I really do hope you guys come back and and talk with us more about either another GM, uh, GM, another marathon gaming session, or just if you just want to talk about something nerdy. Either way, that's perfectly great with us. So yeah, yeah, we would fun. love to be on again. Definitely uh, stay in touch with us, guys, and hopefully maybe we can uh, meet up at a con. Um, we are also talking about kind of grabbing some different YouTubers and podcast guys and maybe, again, this is a wish list, but maybe putting together some sort of a game where we bring a bunch of people together to give them this experience and then have them talk about it on their different social media platforms. So keep in touch. Okay. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Oh, definitely. (laughs) All right. So this has been Nerd Podcast Radio. A great episode. I've been your host, Special Mikey, along with Super Vegan Brian. Brian. Did you die on me? Bye-bye, everybody. Yeah, don't do that to me, man. <laughs> and the founding members of the Order of the Amber Die professional role-playing group, Sterling, Adam, and Eric. I didn't get your last names. Oh, yeah. Sterling Brunsville, Adam Smith, Eric Lynn. All right. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye, guys. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening. All right. And this has been Nerd Podcast Radio. And as always, stay nerdy, stay informed, and stay awesome. Brian Kett, everybody.